Well, uh, thank you very much for inviting me to preach today. Uh, it's been lovely being part of your uh, church for the last two years, although obviously it's been very strange times. And, um, uh, but it's, it's lovely to uh, be here, and uh, thank you very much for inviting me to preach uh, this morning. Uh, when I was asked, uh, will I preach, I was obviously um, asked what passage I'll be preaching for. I think everybody expected the Luke passage, because the Hebrews passage just looks a little bit, um, well, dry, and uh, a little bit sort of, what's that got to do with Christmas? Um, so I thought I'd preach on the Hebrews passage today, just so that we could have something to chew on uh, as we um, as we meet with God in his word today. And if you've got a Bible, if you've brought a Bible, then do turn to it. Uh, If you've got a a smartphone and you can access a a Bible program or whatever, uh, I would encourage you to do that. Because actually the context is really helpful uh, in understanding the passage that we've had read today. And, um, oh look, people are going to get Bibles. That's great. Love the enthusiasm. Go. Uh, But you will certainly get more out of this if... um, the alternative is to, is to look at it when you get home. In fact, that would be a really good option. It would be after uh, the service today, you'd go home and look up Hebrews chapter 10. I hope uh, that this morning your appetite will be uh, whetted. But to really understand why uh, we're reading, this is the lectionary reading, believe it or not, in Advent. And to understand why Hebrews 10 verses 5 and forwards is part of the Advent reading. We just need to think again about Advent. And uh, forgive me if you have been to church all your life, that you've lived the liturgical year every year and that you know this through and through. Certainly for myself, I grew up in a... I was the son of a vicar. Um, and, um, but it's taken me a, actually quite a long time. In fact, I continually, every year, sort of find a renewed significance in some of the the church's seasons, and Advent is one of them, partly because I think it is so misunderstood. Um, So I thought we'd just rehearse a little bit about what Advent is about. Can anybody, uh, this this bit is the only bit interactive bit, just say that, (laughs) That, that's priming you to to respond. Can anybody tell me uh, where the word Advent comes from? Latin, yes, brilliant. Just shout it out, don't, don't worry about putting up your hands. Latin, uh, what's the Latin word, anybody? Adventus, what's it mean? Towards the coming. Um, it is, ca- yes, coming, thank you, towards the coming. Uh, okay, any, any, let's go a bit further. Any Greek scholars here today? Okay, well, let's just see, you might guess. Uh, what Greek word is the Latin word translating when, it, when we have Adventus? No. Oh. I tell you what, I'm going to have a glass of water whilst you think about that. If, if, the, if the Latin word is Adventus and it means coming, let's try and approach it from a different direction. What Greek word means coming? Or maybe even the return. Perusia. Did someone say that? I'm sure someone said Perusia somewhere. (laughs) Advent is that that time of the year when we we reflect uh, on the coming of Jesus. 
uh, it is, uh, we, we go through a preparation for Christmas. I mean, unfortunately, in our society, we start to celebrate Christmas a bit too early. And actually, you know, we, we should be celebrating Christmas after Christmas Day. But leading up to Christmas, we, we start to look towards the coming of Jesus. And to do that, we enter into the world of the Old Testament. The, the, the Israelites of the Old Testament were well practiced at waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And so we use their experience in waiting for the coming of the Messiah as we wait uh, for the coming, the return of the Messiah. Uh, for Jesus to come a second time. So we enter their experience for waiting for Jesus to come the first time as we look to his return the second time. The Israelites uh, often looked back at the Exodus. As they looked back at the Exodus, they saw the promises of God and so they knew that God would be faithful in, in, in sending the Messiah and putting things right. Now, they had to wait a long time uh, there was, um, after the, the uh, Old Testament, so to speak, was written, the, 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 uh, the scriptures of the Old Testament, they waited 400 years when there was no prophet in the land. It was a long, can you imagine waiting 400 years? And so their experience was one that we can really enter into as we wait for the return of the Messiah. I am... Um, the Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is in many ways the perfect Advent hymn because it draws on the themes of Isaiah as they look towards the coming of, uh, of the Messiah, Jesus. And every, every uh, verse begins with one of the titles of the Messiah that is in the, uh, the book of Isaiah. So if you, if you go home and you look through O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, each one begins with a title of the Messiah. Uh, so the first one is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Well, that's from Isaiah. The second one is O Come, Thou Rod of Jesse. That's also from Isaiah. Then there's another one about Dayspring, where our Suffolk bishop lives in a in a house called Dayspring, based on Isaiah, and um, and so um, that is a, a you know that is looking forwards. It's looking forwards. It's entering into the experience of the Old Testament people of God as they waited for the Messiah, as we wait for His return. And um, the first coming of Jesus was more about salvation. He did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. It was more about salvation. His return will be as a judge, um, which for, for many is actually a relief because we cry out for justice all the time. If we want justice, then we need judgment and we need a judge. And there's certainly an awful lot in our, our world that it, we really do need justice to be done. And so we, we wait and reflect on our waiting as Jesus returns to judge the world when everything will be put right. Justice will be done. 
And so we make ourselves ready. Uh, We hope, we pray, we look forward to, and we prepare ourselves for the return of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that uh, having rehearsed Advent and all of that, you'll just say, you're just itching to know how Hebrews 10 verses 5 to 10 fits in with Advent. Well, let's look at the passage uh, and then we'll answer, well, we'll ask the question and answer it, I hope. If, uh, if you have a Bible before, us, before you, um, or when you go home, you might like to look at the context. The lead-up to the passage is all important. The, the title is referred to as Christ's Sacrifice Once for All. And what it says in the first four verses is that the law didn't do, didn't do what it needed to do. It wasn't perfect. Uh, and the proof of that was that it couldn't perfect the people um, in the sacrifices that had to be done. So, for example, it says very explicitly that despite all the sacrifices, they still felt guilty. Verse 2. Uh, for this, uh, um, yes, for otherwise would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. The sacrifices didn't relieve them of any sense of guilt. Um, and, uh, they didn't, and part of the reason for that was that they didn't actually take away the guilt of the people. They were just if you like, symbolic. They highlighted the need and they, they foretold the solution, if you like. They, they foreshadowed the true perfect sacrifice that would deal with the sin of all people. And so we come to verse 5, uh, where we are introduced to the one perfect sacrifice that will deal with the felt guilt and the actual guilt of the people of God. A voluntary sacrifice that was bringing to an end the old order, the whole sacrificial system, and establishing a new one. So we we move from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, to the New Covenant, the New Testament. And the result of this one sacrifice of Jesus is this wonderful verse in verse 10. Listen to this. It is an amazing verse. And by that will we have been made holy. It's almost like we haven't done anything. That Jesus has done it all. We don't need to do anything on one level to be made holy. Jesus has done everything. His full, complete, perfect, sufficient sacrifice. In the message, uh, the Message Bible, it says, it was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. And then when you go home and you look up Hebrews 10, go on to verse 12. Because in verse 12, um, well, let's start in verse 11. In verse 11 it says, oh, for goodness sake, day after day the priests had to 
um, offer sacrifices. The priest stands and performs his religious duties day after day. There's that sense of, oh my gosh, we're doing this again and again and again. It's all very predictable, monotonous and the like. Thank you so much for putting that up. That's fantastic, whoever's on, the, on there. Thank you so much. Day after day after day for centuries. And then what do you find in verse 12? But when this priest, as in Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God. Oh, the sense of rest and satisfaction and it's all been done. We don't have to offer every day, again and again, sacrifices. And so here you can see how holiness takes place in our lives. So it it explicitly deals with, this passage explicitly deals with um, how sin, how the sacrifice of Jesus has made us holy, has made us perfect forever, in verse 10. That this sort of, this sacrifice has has made possible total forgiveness and a perfect relationship with God. That was done in the past. The penalty for sin has been taken away. It's been paid for by Jesus. You are totally forgiven. Totally forgiven. But it also talks about being made righteous. So on one level, all of that was done, but there is a sense of responsibility on us to to live that out. To let it so form our lives that we become more like Jesus. That not only are we righteous, but we act righteous. And uh, so in verse 14, we are in the process of being made holy. The power of sin in our lives is being broken. We're not, we're not um, although we might be free of the penalty of sin, we still have sin at work in us. We have that battle, don't we, between doing what is right and doing what is wrong. So we are in, the, in, the, in those times where there is a struggle, where we, we look to be more like Jesus. And uh, that is through the work of the Spirit. So you get on to verse 15. And uh, it says, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. What's that mean? It means it's the work of the Spirit to change our hearts. And the work of the Word, the truth to set our minds free. So, you know, Jesus has dealt with sin gone by. He's he's dealt with the penalty. He's dealing with the power of sin in our lives. And then when he comes again, the presence of sin will be banished. Evil will finish. It will be annihilated. It It will be gone. No more suffering in the future. No more pandemic, no more fear, no more uncertainty, no more evil. 
and uh, we read in verse 13a. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. There will be a time when all will be well. And as we, as we wear these masks, we know so profoundly that things aren't well at the moment. The sense of um, suffering and it's all just, all, it's just, it's chaos. But there will be a time when it will all be well. Jesus' second coming will put all things right. No more masks, no more restrictions, no more war, no more suffering. But in putting those things right, there is a judgment. People will be called to account for their sins. Evil will be rooted out. Warmongers will be brought to justice. The proud will be brought low. The oppressors will be taken down. The corrupt will be bankrupt. But we won't be exceptions. And so we are glad that our, our sins are paid for. That we are forgiven. And so this is wonderful, wonderful news. This passage about Jesus being the ultimate, complete, sufficient sacrifice means that we need not live in fear of that day and we can look forward to it. And there is in this little passage, verse 7, and uh, it is a remarkable and I think um, it, is, it is our correct response, if you like, to this, um, to the coming of Jesus. And it is, here I am. So when you look, this is a quote from, uh, from Psalm 40, and uh, they're looking for the Messiah. And uh, it talks... Uh, Hebrews interprets it as, as, uh, as applied to Jesus quite correctly. And it's, it's like Jesus saying, here I am, I am the salvation, the, what, the answer that you're looking for. But it is also the model response of all those who follow Jesus. And that is, here I am. Here I am, Lord. I'm here to serve you. What does it say? Here I am, I've come to do your will, O God. How are we to respond? What, what do we need to take away? I've just got three, three, three ideas, three thoughts. I think with all the freneticism of Christmas, it is a time to stop and, uh, and wait. Advent is a time for waiting. Christmas Day on Saturday. You know, Satan loves to distract his, loves to distract the people of God away from the truths and wonders of God. One of the few good things about the pandemic is that it has caused us to think that actually all that we don't do, we don't need to do. It's caused us to slow down and we've realized that 
life can be better by doing less. Well, maybe. Can I, can I offer one, one idea to you? Is that in every day this week, you set aside a time to reflect consciously on the gift of the Messiah. One way of doing that, we're not singing many carols this year because we're not meeting very much this year. Choose a carol each day to reflect on and to just maybe sing through the day. Or if you Google Advent Project, the two results at the top are all about how to um, um, reflect on Advent. If you just uh, type in Advent Project at the top, that would be another option to, to use what they have on those two websites. That's the first thing, to stop and to, to consciously embrace the Advent season of waiting, expectation, repentance and the like. The second thing is to, is to share the good news of salvation. Re-energizing, restarting or maybe starting afresh praying for those who don't know Jesus, the family, the friends, the neighbours. You know, Christmas is a great time when we normally, uh, who knows, this Christmas, rub shoulders with those, um, our friends, our, our colleagues, our family, who knows, to pray for an opportunity to share the good news with them. Invite them to the carol service. You've got about, uh, how many hours before this carol service? Six hours before the carol service. I'm looking for a clock. Um, plenty of time to invite people to the carol service. And lastly, can you say, here I am? Shall we stand? It is, the, it is the work of the Spirit um, working the truth in our, into our hearts and minds that changes us. And as we, as we hear the call of our Father, to come to him and to serve him, let's invite the Spirit into our hearts and minds to so do that work that we might readily respond here I am Lord Father God we ask that you would send afresh your Holy Spirit this Advent we ask that you would fill us afresh this day. That not only can we say, here I am, but that I will serve. And in the coming days, serve your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.